And a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Uh, Rob Gallia was a lonely, miserable teenager. He wanted to feel like he belonged, so he joined a gang. He went clubbing, he drank, stole things, he lied. His reckless lifestyle ultimately led him to hide in fear for his life from other gang members. He was so desperate in those days that uh, he spent time in his dark bedroom contemplating the ending of his life. But a phone call from his grandmother led him to turn his life around, and I thought it was important for him to share his story with us. Father Rob Gallia is the founder of FRG Ministry, and you can uh, follow him at frgministry.com. Father, good to have you with me. It's so good to, good to be on the show with you. Uh, you uh, grew up in Malta? That, that's right. So I currently live in Australia, but grew up in, in Malta. Malta um, is like in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, a beautiful, wonderful island. Um, 98, 98% Catholic at yeah, the time while that's I was right. growing up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What is it like living in a country in which 98% of the uh, population affirm or at least confesses the Catholic faith? Well, it's very much immersed in the culture, so it's in everything you do. So um, it, it, churches would be full on a weekend. Um, there was a Catholic law. Shops never opened on a Sunday. Um, it's a very um, statues. There were people praying on the street. It's a very um, it's very much immersed in the culture, but not necessarily immersed in the heart of the people. Right, right. How old were you when you left Malta? I was twenty three years old oh. when I left Malta. Okay, so and, so in, you grew up in a population ninety eight percent Catholic, and obviously that didn't keep you from being lonely and miserable? No, it didn't. You see, this is the thing where I used to go, um, I was brought up in this Catholic home, but um, by the time I was about 40, um, even earlier, 13 years old, I, I just had a um, sort of a rebellious um, re- reaction to, to the discipline of my parents. You see, my dad was always really, really strict with me, and um, so I decided... Um, just I didn't want to get involved with anything my parents were involved in, and that included their faith. Um, so I just moved away from the age of 13 till, till 17 years old. I didn't step into a church. Wow. And you said you were rebellious. In, was that simply because you didn't want to identify with the Catholic faith because you identified the faith with your father and you were in rebellion against your well, dad? Well, I rebelled against my family. I rebelled. Um, it all stems from this need to to be loved and accepted. Now, it's not that my parents didn't love me and didn't accept me. It's just I was just angry um, deep down inside. My dad was always very strict. He was a disciplinarian. Yeah. And um, he would um, put boundaries on me, and I just interpreted that as as a, an act of 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 for him wanting to take away my my fun, wanting to take away my joy. Mm-hmm. And so um, him being stricter, one, I, I just would try and spend as much time away from him and as much time uh, with friends. And so even the fact that he put curfews on me, I would jump outside my window uh, when I was 13 years old and, and walk to nightclubs. Now, Malta is a Catholic country, but we have a place, a couple of places in Malta, for example, where we have about 115 nightclubs door to door. But our tourism is very much a party 
tourism. So we have um, the biggest street party in the world. It's <laughs> hosted about 10 minutes from my house, wow. from my parents' house. Uh, so, when, so you would participate in all the activities associated with nightclubs, music, uh, uh, substance abuse? Absolutely. So this is where it started. It started with just hanging out with some friends. And then eventually, you know, I started smoking. And by the time you're 14, a lot of my 14-year-old friends were smoking. And I just wanted to be one step ahead. I wanted to right. be recognized. I wanted right. to be seen. That's cool, you know. So yep. I started smoking some, um, some weed, and from weed I got into party drugs, and from party drugs to harder drugs. And by the time I was 15 and 16 years old, I, I was pretty much addicted um, to that and, and the drinking and the party lifestyle. In your own mind, were you, could you distinguish between Jesus and the what you consider to be the oppressive social environment that your father had created? Well, it is, um, at that time, um, I possibly could have. Um, and there were, I, I don't recall, but I wouldn't be surprised if I still prayed my night prayers. Yeah. Okay. And I still spoke to Jesus. In mm-hmm. fact, but I don't think that I had had my own encounter of faith. It was still my parents' faith. I hadn't um, had my own encounter of Jesus, my own encounter of, and my own relationship with Jesus. It was always something that was given to me, and and maybe not not quite internalized. Yeah, yeah. How how did you? It sounds like you began to descend into uh, su- such recklessness that you at one time feared for your life. How, how did that happen? Yes. Well, the, that. Uh, started off with me um, hanging out with um, a group of friends. One of the things that I got into was was stealing. Okay. Now, again, this started off because I wanted to my friends to think I was cool. You know, I didn't need any of the stuff that I stole. But one day I was in a, a store and I stole something. It was a bicycle shop. And um, I ran out and a group of friends ran out after me and um, they catch up with me, and I remember my best friend, as he tripped me to the ground, and he started to punch me in the face, and I was there on the floor, um, and thinking, what's going on here? And so, and as he was punching me, he was saying, we've had enough, we've had enough, we don't want to hang out with you anymore. Every time we're with you, they told me, um, we're just watching our back. And so what they did, decided to do was to stop hanging out with me, and um, I, couldn't, I had to keep going out, because I, I couldn't stand it staying home. Mm-hmm. So I would go out and the people that I would hang out with were the, the people who would sell me the drugs. Mm-hmm. And as I hung out with them, these were the gang members. So yes. Where they'd go around with guns and they'd go... Now, this is a Catholic country. Um, I'm in Chicago. It maybe would be something uh, currently, so maybe that would be um, seen as something not so big, but it was it was massive, that the fact that these guys would... Um, in a, in a country that no one would ever see a gun, these guys would be with guns and knuckle dusters, flick knives. And they'd go around and just start fights for no reason. Yeah. yeah. And um, w- one day, um, I had said a lie about the head gang, the gang leader, mm. and he found out about it. And I'm sitting in a nightclub, 16 years old, which is the legal age to be in a nightclub in Malta. Okay. And I'm sitting there in this nightclub, and a group of friends come in and say, Rob, quickly get out of here because um, Chris, his name is Chris, and Chris was looking for you. 
And so I ran home and I locked myself at home. And, um, and they, my this group didn't find me straight away. They found my best friend and they they um, sent him. They beat him up so badly he ended up in intensive care in hospital. Wow. And these guys were looking for me and I'm terrified. And it was at this time where I locked myself in my room for six to eight weeks and I just I remember just harming myself and just wanting to die and oh. thinking of ways I could end my own life. I hated who I had become. And the thing is my my mother cared so much, my dad cared so much and they would see my pain, but I just was so angry. I couldn't see their love, I couldn't see their care, and I just thought nobody cared. And I, I just wanted to die. And it was a really, really dark moment in in my life. But it, you know what? Even in hindsight, I'm so grateful for even those dark moments in my life. Is that when you got that phone call from your grandmother? Yeah, so this was, um, I was in my room, and so every day I would just go to my my room, and I, I remember kneeling down on my bed and just, rocking on my bed, just wishing this pain, this emptiness, this loneliness, this depression would leave me, but it just wouldn't, not for one second. And I remember thinking that if I don't do something about this, I'm going to take my own life. And so I was just looking for opportunity to get out. And it was at this time I overheard a telephone call, which was my grandmother calling my mother mm. to invite my sister to, to a youth group. And when I overheard this, the first thing that... Uh, it was triggered was the rejection in me, thinking, why didn't she invite me? Now, the reality was she didn't invite me because she knew I wouldn't go. <laughs> right, but, right. But again, just the rebellion in me said, no, I'm going to go. And so <laughs> I, I went to this youth group, and, and that was the sort of the first doorway to, to coming back to hope. Really? What did you see there that made the faith plausible? I mean, you you don't sound like you were a great candidate um, to slip into a youth group at that point. So I'm curious, what caught yeah. your attention? Well, I'd say that the, the first thing was the community. There was a group of people there, and everyone was just so joyful. Yeah, Everyone was so happy, and everyone was so welcoming. And I'm thinking, look, I have no idea who you are, but I, and I, having had the depression experience, depression, um, I wanted to sit at the back. I didn't want to talk to anyone. But I just remember staring, standing at the back thinking, I, I need to keep away from these guys. But thinking deep down, I want what they have. Mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. the joy that they have. I want the sense of love they have, the sense of community that they have. So that was the first thing. But then there was something else that was sort of like the, the, the second punch that, that completely knocked, knocked me out. And that was, there was a, a few weeks in, I kept going to the shoot it, I somehow didn't feel anything while I was there, but mm-hmm. every time I went home, I, I would sense some little more hope and some little yeah. more joy. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a, a doctor, a medical doctor, who stood at the front and started to talk about Jesus. And he started to talk about Jesus as though he knew him. Yes. And I was just so impressed, not by what he said, but by the fact that he was talking about Jesus as though he had just had a conversation with him. I'm thinking, how could this be? You know, Jesus mm-hmm. died 2,000 years ago. Yeah. But what happened was he, he, this love he had for God. And again, I remember thinking, I want that love. And I went home and I locked myself in my room as I did every single day. But this time I sat down on a chair 
and I tapped the chair in front of me. I put another chair in front of me, and I said, Jesus, sit down. I want to talk to you. <laughs> and that was my first real encounter of, of prayer. And I did this every day, every day, and that was the beginning um, I, I, of, of real hope, and of real peace that started to enter into my heart. Father, hold it there. We'll take a quick break and come back and continue the conversation. My guest, Father Rob Galea, The book is called Breakthrough, A Journey from Desperation to Hope. He's sharing with us his uh, encounter with Jesus, uh, and we're going to move on, of course, to his discerning priesthood. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Father Rob Galea. His story is told in Breakthrough, A Journey from Desperation to Hope. Uh, we haven't talked yet about uh, his his uh, amazing popularity in the world of popular music, but that'll come a little bit later as we move on. But uh, so you you now you have a chair. You put the chair in your home. You put a chair for Jesus. You sit opposite that chair and you begin speaking with him. And did he hear you? Well, I would pray every day, and I would speak for a couple of minutes to, to God in this empty chair, and I didn't necessarily feel anything, but again, every time I left that place, I just felt that little more hopeful, mm-hmm. that little more mm-hmm. joyful, and, and I kept going to that chair every day, uh, but one day something happened. I had my very first encounter with God, which was, in a sense, a supernatural encounter, but um, God used my imagination. And I was sitting down in this chair, and I just sensed that there was someone sitting down in the chair in front of me. I didn't see anything, but I just sensed that there was someone else. Yes. And I remember standing up and getting so angry, because I was angry at God. Why did God allow me to go through this pain, this suffering, go to, through this violence in my life? And, and I just stood up, and I started pointing at the chair. But again, in my imagination, this time I did see a figure sitting down in this chair with a tear coming down his face. And I I just remember again thinking, why are you crying? I should be the one crying. And I knew that it was God, it was the Holy Spirit, somehow the presence of God right there. Mm. And I I just, for one moment, this, this figure looked at me, and I realized that this these tears were not tears because I was bullying them because I was angry, but because because they loved me. It was they they were my tears, mm. and I just I remember just falling to my knees and I just feeling so loved. And at first it was, I started crying and it was such a painful cry, um, and eventually I just just the cry became louder and louder and louder to the point where I spent two almost three hours just crying on my knees. And just as the cry went on, just feeling more and more loved, more and more um, em- embraced by, by this love of God. And I got up from uh, from that time of crying, from that encounter, just a new person, wanting and saying, God, this is it. I've experienced this love. This is what I've been looking for. And this is what I'm going to spend the rest of my life living for. Wow. Did you te- Who did you tell about this? Well, no one at first because I didn't know who to tell. And so I kept going back to this youth group. And every time I went to the youth group, I was feeling that same love. So I started to make connections. That this, hey, <laughs> this, is, this is the same God. Right, right. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I, I continued. Eventually, 
um, I started to get deeper and deeper in conversation also with my mother. You see, I, I believe so much that this encounter and this um, experience that we in the youth group was because of the prayer of my mother. Well, she, while well, I used to be um, harming myself and kneeling on, on my bed, she was kneeling outside my room praying for me and wow. crying for me. And yes. she tells me today that she used to pray and cry out to God for me. And every time she prayed, it seemed to get worse. But she continued. And she persevered. And I honestly believe that I am here today, even as a priest, because of the prayer yes. and the perseverance prayer, the, the persistent prayer of my mother. Did your father, uh, was your father aware of what was happening spiritually with you? Well, I think he was aware of what was going on. He knew, I know he knew of the addiction. I know he knew of of the the pain and, and the depression. But I think I had reached a point in my life, um, in, in my relationship with him, where he, he, he also felt he couldn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but but my mother had a door, uh, a foot in the door, like she she could still reach out, and she continued in, in in her prayer. My dad prayed for me too, and and today, like I'm really close to my father. I'm really, um, uh, he's my greatest supporter. He's so proud of me, and he yeah. supports me in so many ways. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Now, when did you, you know, you are known as, quote, the singing priest because of your appearance on Australia's version of The X Factor. Um, when did you decide to take up uh, popular singing and songwriting? Well, I started singing um, in my parish uh, with the youth group. So the youth group used to lead a liturgy, used to lead a mass. Um, in in our parish, and so I, I they needed someone to play the guitar. So I, I I didn't play the guitar at the time, but what I did was I just volunteered to try and learn. And so I grabbed the guitar and I used to watch MTV music television and just learn chords from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually I, I learned a few chords and started playing in the youth group. I started playing music um, in, in the liturgy, and eventually. What happened was I got a, um, a record deal with a company in the in, in England, in the United Kingdom. And from there, I got signed with Sony Records in Australia, um, where I got to sing for Pope Benedict at the time, at World Youth Day. And um, it just started to take off. And um, eventually, I find myself speaking at um, hundreds of schools across the world. You know, people are inviting me to conferences and schools to sing and to speak and to preach. And eventually, um, the X Factor actually contacted me and asked me to audition. Oh, okay. And so um, the voice in in the United States called me, and then the voice in Australia, then the voice, and then the X Factor. And I kept saying no because I didn't want to be known as a pop singer, you know. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And I was already a seminarian at this time, so and so. But eventually, I said, "Look, listen, I'll do the audition." And um, that was my agreement, just to do the audition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kept getting through and through and through. And so eventually, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I did have to pull the plug and decide to leave the show because I just, um, deep down inside, you know, I, honestly, I, I didn't want to be a pop star. Right. I wanted to be a priest. And, yeah. and I, I wanted to use my music to proclaim Jesus and, sure. and not myself. Yeah. Well, when did you begin to discern that you may have a call to priesthood then? 
Well, it's. I didn't want to be a priest. I had a. I was in a relationship eventually, a girl from the youth group, and we went out for four years, and we were in a, a serious sort of relationship. But eventually, um, I I was on tour playing music, leading worship, and um, just uh, in Italy. And as I was playing this this music, um, I met a priest there who was just so full of life so full of love and he was surrounded by young people and I remember thinking again at that point thinking I, I, Jesus I, I'll do whatever you want but I don't want to be a priest please don't call me to be a priest <laughs> but I remember leaving that concert thinking but if I'm anything like this guy I'll consider it interesting <laughs> so at so least was, you at least you had a picture <laughs> at least you had a picture <laughs> of what a good priest could be right Yes, but it wasn't. It was just he was just so real to me. Mm-hmm. He was just so real, so human, and that's what I connected with his humanity. Yeah. Um. And and it was just so wonderful and so beautiful the way he loved people, the way he loved the priesthood, and the way he he just loved God and others. So did you? Um, how? When did you decide then that you were really going? to pursue priesthood, or attend seminary at least. How old were you by then? Well, then a couple of, I kept, this was two years into my relationship, and then eventually I just started to bring it up um, with my girlfriend, maybe more often than she was comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so eventually I, we decided to break off the relationship just so I could give this a go, so I could give this a try, to put my heart at rest so and to see if this was, for me, or whether married life was for me. Um, and so eventually I entered the seminary in a proper duty here for, for just to give it a go for six months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, uh, at the end of the six months, I was more in love with serving God, more in love with Jesus than I had ever been. And wow. I, I just wanted to pursue this. Wow. And uh, I did. Uh, I continued and I never looked back. Um, she she's now married and has asked me to preside. Has asked me to preside at her wedding. So this is we're, <laughs> we're still very good friends. That's beautiful. But it, it, yeah, but I love. I'm I'm just so grateful. Um, for, in fact, one of the things I just spoke about and tweeted about is this, that if I had a thousand lifetimes, I'd choose to be a priest in each one. I love absolutely love that um, and I'm so honored that God has called me to the priesthood. Well you're uh, I'm looking here at some notes and your ministry reaches more than 200,000 young people a year uh, it's called the Stronger Youth Program in Australia and so what is that? Is that primarily speaking or do you also perform? Well so um, I, I, I also founded sort of a youth ministry within our diocese which runs across Australia um, but Australia has a very has a very small Catholic population. So mm-hmm. what happens is, um, I get I spend I work full time in evangelization. So I travel around the world. I work in a parish, but spend um, a good number of months tra- traveling around the world, speaking at schools and mm-hmm. youth conferences. So I speak. I'm a speaker, but also I use music through as I speak. Um, and I talk about this relationship with God. I talk about hope. Um, I spent my whole life suffering from depression, and I, um, I still um, struggle with it, but I've learned to, to deal with it. I've yes. learned to handle it. And um, I speak about uh, things that even in, in the 
darkest of moments, that we can still find hope, we can still find love, we can still find Jesus. So I get to do this uh, at conferences across the United States. In, I'm heading over to the Philippines soon, then to India, um, Indonesia, um, uh, just uh, wherever a, a door will open, um, we go, okay. and sometimes with a team and sometimes just by myself. Uh, I noticed I have an article here uh, which says that uh, some uh, Catholic Weekly saying that there's a, a movie that's going to be made. Is that still is that happening? Well, yes, as far as I know. So there's um, my book Breakthrough, which um, you just you mentioned earlier. It, yes, uh, has it's going to be made into a movie. So they they've got the rights for that. The film company and now um, they're in the pre-production stage. Wow! And hopefully um, it will be God willing. Um, that, but I'm not involved in that except for a consulting role. Gotcha. But I'm not going to be acting in it. So you can you can rest assured that I'm certainly not. I don't want to be a pop star. I don't want to. Be <laughs> you, you turn down pop star, you're not going to go for movie star, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. How can people stay in touch with your father? Well, I'm on social media, um, on Instagram, Twitter, um, Snapchat, um, F, uh, it's F-R-R-O-B-G-A-L-E-A, Father Rob Gallia, and or frgministry.com. Okay, we'll make sure that's all linked at our site as well. Thank you so much. Great talking with you. Thank you, and God bless you.